This is Monique John, and you're listening to the second episode of Cuck Queen, a blog and podcast drama telling the story of the disastrous relationship I became ensnared in while reporting on Liberia's 2017 presidential election in Monrovia. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to the introduction and episode one of the show to catch up. Also, be sure to go to thecorrespondent.com, where you can find the blog post of the series, original photos reenacting the story, and the Cuck Queen soundtrack. The link is in the podcast show notes. Last time on Cuckween, amid adjusting to life in Liberia, I unexpectedly fall for the charm of a shabby yet seemingly sweet man named Boris and become his girlfriend. But the honeymoon quickly ends when the sexual tension between us goes south. Today you'll hear how things continued to unravel and what it was that officially put our relationship in the red. This is Cuckween, Episode 2, The Quiet Before the Storm. I began swallowing my sexual frustration and acquiescing to Boris's advances, even when I didn't want to have sex. I wasn't afraid that he would become violent and batter me into submission if I kept refusing him. I was afraid of being discarded of before I was ready to let him go. I wanted to avoid the belly aching, scorn, and guilt tripping I knew was in sore for me if I kept turning him down, and I started telling myself that it was easier to just lay on my back and let him have his way. That was easier than to argue back or cook up some plausible yet fabricated excuse for why I didn't want to have sex that would hide the ugly truth. I was turned off by his body. Looking back, I should have been more honest with myself about what I needed to be sexually fulfilled. I also should have accepted the fact that my sexual desires are shaped by my love interest looking and carrying themselves in a certain kind of way. Being strongly attracted to my partner, through the way they look and the things they do, is one of the most important things that a relationship needs to have in order for it to be sustainable. I was only kidding myself to think that I could compromise so dramatically in that department. I also imagine it bruised Boris's pride and deepened his resentment towards me to subconsciously know that more often than not, I was giving him pity sex, and not sex that I was happy and excited to give. My coming of age as a black feminist has come at a time in which other feminist writers I admire have waged a movement of body positivity and fat activism that I respect and am intrigued by. Their social commentary on fatness has taught me a lot and bred a level of empathy and acceptance in me for people who are of larger size that I know I wouldn't have had otherwise. But it was merely patronizing of me to ignore the traits that I find sexually attractive, to give someone I found unattractive my intimacy out of a self-imposed obligation to be politically correct. While all of this was happening, I started becoming increasingly dependent on Boris after I injured my foot. I'd started filing stories on the election by then, which initially helped me support myself, but I was struggling to get my hands on the money that I had already earned from my biggest clients because of miscommunications and bureaucratic nonsense. People failed to follow my instructions for setting up my direct deposits, and mistakes were made in my contracts, meaning I was unable to comfortably account for basic items like electricity costs, internet, transportation, and food. My meals went from being the takeout I bought for myself from my favorite restaurants to helpings of the homemade Liberian food Boris gracefully shared with me. My health problems kept getting worse, too, and not being able to walk and frequently having to make trips to the doctor's offices was consuming the little cash I had. It was also preventing me from earning my normal flow of income. And then there was my troublesome living situation. My host at the time had suddenly become hostile, and it was obvious to both Boris and I that I needed to find a new apartment where I could live and work in peace without the constraints and distractions of roommates. I was physically in pain. I was desperate. I was vulnerable. 
and I was looking for solace and a sense of normalcy from someone who I trusted. Even though I took issues with the conditions of his home, I timidly asked Boris if I could briefly stay with him while I hunted for a new place. Of course you can stay with me, Boris said on the other end of the phone. His voice was warm, and he nearly cut me off as I spoke, as if whether or not I could stay with him shouldn't have been a question. I'd love to have you around more, he said. A few weeks later, I schlepped my belongings into his bedroom, ignoring my reservations about us seeing each other. Then I left for a short trip to New York to have more doctors look at my foot. Boris had begun acting strangely, incessantly calling to check in on me at certain times, only to disappear like a ghost at others. Yet I didn't think much of it, and I decided not to assume the worst. My time away from Monrovia made me grow a little fonder of him, and more critical of myself. I told myself that so many guys had mistreated me in the past that I couldn't recognize a good man now that I had finally been given one. I told myself that I needed to do a better job of making Boris feel wanted and appreciated before he walked away. The last thing I wanted to do was block the very blessing in my love life I'd been waiting for. I got back to Monrovia and went straight home to Boris on Christmas Eve. We had a happy reunion. Boris surprised me with a bike for my Christmas present and we swapped stories of the things we were up to in the few days that we were apart. We began freshening up to leave for a holiday party. I felt relaxed. Really relaxed. I was in such a good mood. Then, I started considering initiating sex before we left the house, to make the reunion more special and memorable. I had been sad on my way back to Liberia, because I knew that I would have to spend the holidays without my family in New York, like I originally planned. I had to come back early because the runoff was scheduled the day afterwards. But now that I had reached his house, I started to think that as long as I had Boris to spend time with me, it would be a nice Christmas after all. And then the other woman called. You've been listening to Cut Queen, a blog and podcast drama telling the story of the disastrous relationship I became in Snerden while reporting on Liberia's 2017 presidential election in Monrovia. The shit hits the fan once I find out Boris has been cheating on me. Watch me go Killmonger on my two-timing ex-boyfriend on the next episode. Keep following the story here on the Cut Queen podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Also, be sure to go to thecorrespondent.com where you can find the original blog posts of the series, original photos reenacting scenes from the story, links to the Cut Queen podcast, and the Cut Queen soundtrack. The link to The Correspondent is in the podcast show notes. This is Monique John. Thanks for listening.